0: Thanks for joining us. We love getting to share the message of God's grace with the entire world. If his message has impacted your life, would you share your testimony with us by emailing it to stories at graceorlando.com. We love to hear what God is up to. You can also give in support of this ministry by going to our website and clicking on the give button at graceorlando.com. Thanks again. All right, so we're going to start a new series this morning called Translucence. Okay, it sounds weird. Uh, But it is this... uh, This intersection between transparency and grace. It's it's something of a personal journey of mine that I kind of want to invite you guys in on. Uh, And uh, it begins like this Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Okay, these are the words of Jesus, so I want you to hear them this morning, right? He was speaking to his disciples at this time, but I want you to hear this this morning and be convinced of this. You are light. <laughs> you are the light of the world. Hear that believe it. You are the light of the world. Like we don't, we don't fathom how much changed after Jesus did all the things that he did and everything changed to the point that he was pointing his disciples beforehand, even saying, you are the light of the world. Not me. Oh yeah, he's the light of the world. We get all that. But he's saying you, you are going to represent light into the world. And can I tell you, this year has been a year where we need a lot of light, don't we? It's been a pretty crazy year. You were meant to light up a room with the grace of God. I don't know if that's how you walk into a room. I don't know if that's how you get ready in the morning, but you should because you were made to light up a room. When you go into that meeting tomorrow, when you go into school tomorrow, when you just sit in your living room because you're not allowed to go anywhere tomorrow, uh, wherever it is you go, you light up a room with grace. Like with his, his light is just flooding out of you. Do you notice? Do you see it? See this idea of translucence. The best idea, or the best way to capture what this really is, uh, is stained glass windows. Okay, I don't know about you. I, I actually do appreciate a stained glass window. I think they're real pretty. Uh, I, I love that when you get a really cool picture. You know all the different colors that make it up, and and that that light that's coming through, right? It's hitting that glass, and the, and the quality of the light that's coming out beyond that is the translucence, right? It is this. It's what's being seen because light is passing through you. All right. So I want to I want to propose to you that you are stained glass. Okay. That and and there is light that is pouring through your life as well. Well, how much do we allow people to see the the good stuff versus the bad stuff? Well, we're really good at showing them the good stuff, right? But how many of us boast in weakness real well? Like, you really just have no problem going up to somebody and being transparent and saying, hey, can I just be honest? Here you go. You know, well, no, and if we all did that all the time, we'd have a mess. But the idea is that we should live in such a way that we can see through. There's a a pathway here of light that where it travels. I uh, I, Like I said, I kind of began this this journey about two years ago that I didn't know I was going to go on. Does God ever take you on a journey that you don't know you're about to go on? Quick quick tip, it's usually all of them, okay? Like usually you find yourself on an adventure. And, uh, and so on this adventure, I found myself uh, reading a book that a friend of mine had recommended to me. Uh, I'm the kind of person that if you're somebody I really, really trust uh, and you recommend a book to me, please don't recommend all your books to me. Uh, I have so many right now, but uh, I, I will just buy it. Like I'll just download it on my Kindle and go, thank you very much, or I'll check it out sometime. So I'm, I'm in a, a vacation scenario. I'm sitting on a couch. I have that random five minutes where the kids aren't anywhere. I'm like... I think they're okay, but but I have a book I could read. (laughs) So selfishly, I dive into this book, and and I I begin this journey that I didn't know I was already on, where God was revealing transparency and vulnerability, and I had read some Brene Brown. I had done some of that stuff, but this book was totally different, and it was showing me grace and how transparency and all of this stuff works together. And so the Lord told me about about a year or so ago, he says, uh, next year, 2020, he says, is going to be a year of transparency, vulnerability, and grace. And this is what he shared to me. And I wish you would have told me about the pandemic, okay like that would have been that would have been also helpful, you know also by the way uh, no but uh, but isn 't it interesting that we are now currently living in a year where I would say transparency, vulnerability, and grace would all be things that uh, would help, would help everything that we 're going through in fact. We're we're living in. If you look at okay, the spirit, the spirit would be transparent. Grace also, the flesh, okay, would very easily be the opposite of that. Okay, and what you see out there today is this thing called knowledge. You ever heard of it? Uh, knowledge. It puffs up and makes people think they know everything. I want to I, I want to ask you a question. What would have happened if all that's happening this year happened before the internet happened? You know, you ever just think about that? What would we do? I wouldn't even know who to be mad at or who to, who to blame or I don't know. Like, it's just it's a whole different thing that we're living in right now. And look, although there's, there's things that we can all get into or whatever, I, I encourage you to back out of all of it, okay? Back out and just go, hold on a minute. Let me sit with, with God and talk about being transparent myself. Because here's the thing is that all of this knowledge, all that it does, it puffs up with pride, which you know fears are not too far behind. And the next thing you know, you put these walls up because, man, i got to be safe, right? And we're already living in a year where you're supposed to stay in your house and lock yourself in and all that. So walls are up, right? We don't really know each other very well because we can't really see each other very well. And all of a sudden, you notice that you have a lack of intimacy, right? You don't really feel like anybody knows me, anybody sees me anymore. Maybe you found yourself even saying that about your church, saying, I don't know if I'm known, right? But I encourage you to look beyond just the, the little stuff. Get to the deeper stuff that's going on in our culture right now. We're, we're being encouraged not to be transparent. No, the opposite. Don't tell anybody anything because someone might get mad about it, right? We're living in a time where you're not allowed to think. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? And yet, the Lord has told us that we are the light of the world. He already, he's already knew this was coming. He already knew how dark the world was going to get. And he encourages us that we are light. You are light whether you know it or not. And then there's grace. There's this, there's this grace that came to us. Jesus reveals to us this, un, I mean, you can't wrap your head around the kind of love that God has for us. And in a moment when you don't feel that you can be vulnerable or any of those kinds of things, he demonstrates to us what that looks like. He demonstrates to us all that we have within us. Uh, and I wanna show you some of those things here today, but here's, here's how I wanna encourage you. Number one, as your pastor, I wanna say something. I am not perfect. I know that blows someone's mind, but I am not perfect, and I will absolutely... Some of you didn't blow your minds at all. You don't have to laugh at me. Jeez, uh, I'm just kidding. Anyway, I'm messing around. No, the thing is, is that I, I will never pretend to be perfect. Like, that's not my MO at all. Like, I just don't. It's, it's silliness, right? Paul said to do the opposite. He goes, let people see how God's working through you too, you know? And so I, I endeavor to do that. I endeavor to do this series. I want to bring you in a little bit into my life and kind of show you, hey, there's some stuff in here that God's doing in my life too to hopefully encourage you. Okay. Uh, but, but I want to give you a great encouragement for everybody here this morning who, is, who has failed measurably and you're trying to hide it, uh, for every person in here who has uh, blocked everybody out of their life and, and you, you don't think anyone notices, and, and, uh, for whoever it is that you're hiding all the pain and you're masking it all and you think it's working, I want to tell you as a great encouragement. We all see through it, okay? So, now you may not see through it yet, but you will, and I'll tell you why, translucence, okay? When light suddenly doesn't look the same coming out of you, when suddenly there seems to be walls going up and all of that kind of stuff, we already know you're going through something, okay? And the idea of the body of Christ is that we would come together as a people, and, and without shame, without guilt, without condemnation, without anything, but just lifting each other up, that we would do that together, And we could be transparent in certain situations together and share this life amongst ourselves. So that's what I I want to bring you in on. So this morning, I encourage you to take off the metaphorical mask. Uh, I encourage you to uh, not be okay this morning, okay? If you're somebody who's like, honestly, Javen, I'm not doing okay, that's okay. God already knows that anyway, so you might as well not try to fake it. Uh, And I encourage you to celebrate New Year's with me this morning, okay? So that might sound really weird. But we're in the middle of September, end of where are we at? October? Who even knows anymore? Uh, and we are going to celebrate New Year's this morning. All right. So look at your neighbor and carefully say, "Happy New Year's." <laughs> what in the world is this sermon about? Happy New Year's. All right. Now I want to believe this is not true, but there could be somebody here who does believe that the moment we turn that calendar over to 2021, 2020 is gone. All of the stuff is gone. 21 is going to be amazing. All right, well, in case you would like the science behind that, we're just going to continue to go around the sun, but the problems remain, okay? So in 2021, as much as we'd like this year to be over, it won't. But what is it about a new year, right? Like, what is it about a new year? Like, we psych ourselves into this, right? We go, we have a party or something, and we, we forgive, right? We forgive people. We, we, we let bygones be bygones, and, and what does that word even mean? Uh, and and we, 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 we do all of these things, right? In the new year, we have a fresh start. To feel new, to feel like, okay, let's start over. What's 21 gonna look like? 20, good grief. 21, you know? All right, well, this all comes from God actually. He was the one that instigated this idea of a fresh start. Although the people of the day, as I'm gonna show you, we're gonna go between two places. I'm gonna show you how, under the law and under all the things that he introduced through Moses, right, all we had was a lack of transparency with God. You weren't, you didn't want to go tell God about everything. Uh, is going to involve killing a goat or something, you know, I mean, like this is, there, there was no relationship here, okay, comparatively to what you and I have now in Christ, where we have this relationship where there is no shame, oh, there's, there's, there's no condemnation, there's none of that stuff, but we have a life in him that looks totally different. So we're going we're gonna to parallel Leviticus 16 today. If you want to go to Leviticus 16, it might be the first time in a while. Uh, Leviticus 16 is not a place we visit very often, but let's take a look and see how this uh, shows us Jesus. Now, God institutes this brand new year for his people. He goes, okay, I'm going to give you guys a new year, right? A celebration that's going to be focused on that. And not but maybe a couple weeks after that, we're going to have something called the Day of Atonement, okay? Maybe you've heard of this. It was not as cool as a New Year celebration with fireworks, okay? This involved lots of killing of animals and blood and just not the way I would want to start my New Year off, if I was being honest. Uh, but this is how they did, okay? And this is what God instituted, and he did this for a reason. Now, what I want you to see in this, and what I want you to grab as we read through Leviticus 16, which this morning we're going to read through some scripture, I want you to look and see how many times you can see Jesus, like you'll you'll see now because of the Spirit and go, oh, I now see what was really being referenced. Remember, everything that came before Jesus was just a point to him, right? Now, there were things that were about us, and we felt like it was about us, and we, we wrote ourselves into the story really well, but really God was just saying that this was going to be impossible for all of you to do, so that when Jesus shows up, suddenly there's this one guy that can do all of the things that none of us could do. <laughs> and you're going to notice that that has to be the Messiah, right? That was at least the idea. So let's take a look at these three main elements that God introduces, right? You're going to see a priesthood, you're going to see a sacrifice, and you're going to see a scapegoat. And all three of these things are very, very important. Uh, now remember, atonement, this idea of atonement means to cover, okay? It's a covering. And, and, and I want you to see the huge difference between what the blood of bulls and goats could do in a covering situation versus what Jesus could do in a cleansing of of all sin kind of situation, okay? Look at the power between these two things. All right, Leviticus 16, verse uh, 2 through 3 says this, Uh, and I remember Moses just came off the the mountain. He comes down, there's a golden calf. Some some people lit up incense they weren't supposed to and died. Uh, I mean, this is a mess. Like, he he was gone for five minutes, you know? It's It's just tough being Moses. He goes, look, God goes to Moses and he says, tell your brother Aaron that he shall Not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. Aaron shall enter the holy place with this a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Now, think about how many animals this is. Think about your new year, okay? This is what they're going through, and this is what God was saying. I want you to experience this because at this time, you can't just go walk in and hang out with God, and that's going to be important later. You can't just walk in and say, God, I got a problem. I mean, you're dead. (laughs) You can't come into the presence of God. How are you going to be intimate? How are you supposed to have a relationship with God? How are you supposed to be transparent and let him into your, your areas of your life? Well, you couldn't at this point. Somebody else had to go for you. Now, I'm not going to cover this because it would just be too much, but the part I'm going to skip over in Leviticus is the priesthood, right? The, the idea that you had to be cleansed. I mean, the, the, the things that the priest had to go through, to the, the ritual part of it to make sure that he was not going to die was, I mean, lengthy. And so we continue in verse 8. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Now, does that sound familiar, the idea of casting lots? You'll see that again at the cross, won't you, when they're casting lots over his clothes. And I want you to catch this. He is both the scapegoat and the sacrifice. You're going to see this. So verse 8 says this, or verse 9, Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot fell uh, for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it and send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. You ever wonder where that term comes from? You know, someone's a scapegoat. Well, here you go. God started it, right? He he kicked this thing off. And this was an amazing thing that would happen where the sins of all the people would be laid upon this animal and it would be let out uh, into the wilderness, never to be seen again. Verse 15 then he shall slaughter the goat of the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil. Catch that. That's important. And do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Again, it's easy to think this is about a bunch of bulls and goats and people and the stuff that we're reading. But you know this is about Jesus. You know the blood going behind the veil is going to be huge in a moment. Okay, This, this is not about what we thought it was. We read this in such a way at a time when we did. Verse 20 When he finishes atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall offer the live goat. Then Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all of the iniquities of the sons of Israel and all their transgressions in regard to all their sins. He shall lay them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness." Now, I love this. I was talking to Eric Platt recently, and he, he told me this. He said uh, that, that if the goat that you let off into the wilderness, if it ever came back, which it wasn't supposed to do, they would just kick it off a cliff. <laughs> so, <laughs> again, not a good time to be an animal. Um, it, uh, <laughs> this goat represented all of the sins of the people. It can't come back, okay? Like, no, you're supposed to be gone. <laughs> and so, phew, you know, it's gone. Um, Aren't you glad you don't live in these times? Okay, so this is what would happen. And if this was not enough, if this entire scene was not hard enough to watch year after year, that would be the point, is that it would become a yearly thing. Verse 29, this shall be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your your souls and do not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. It's on this day. That atonement shall be made for you to cleanse you. You will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, that you may humble your souls. It is a permanent statute. Now, you could probably catch multiple things in there that we're going to reference here in a moment that Christ fulfilled. This is a permanent statute. How many people do you meet that say, Javen, that's why we're still under all of this, is because it's permanent. We don't understand it was permanent because Jesus fulfilled it and now keeps it fulfilled permanently. Like, he is going to satisfy every single thing that you're reading right now. And it was meant, by the way, to discourage you. It was meant to show you the effortless nature we had. Like, you could, or, we you know, the, uh, the that doesn't make any sense. Uh, the nature we had that, that was all based in effort, right? That produced nothing, right? So he's showing us this. So every single year, every single year that person that you hurt that you did something wrong, that you stole something, that this happened, that that happened. All of that was before you every single year. Is Once again, I'm having to lead this animal to its death every year because of all of the things that I did. Blood was shed and sprinkled and all this stuff because of me. And every single year, you were reminded of your mistakes. And every single year, you were reminded that I can't go talk to God <laughs> Oh, I could pray that he would bless me. I could ask the priest to do certain things, but there wasn't an intimate relationship with God because you were so far removed from all of it. So now let's read, look at this one more time. God introduces those three main events, our three main elements. You've got the priesthood, you've got the sacrifice, which we saw sprinkled and all that, and then you had the scapegoat, which was led off into the wilderness. Now skip over to Hebrews nine. We're going to spend a little time there and see what the writer of Hebrews says about all this. Hebrews nine, he says this: for there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one in which we were, in which were a, the lampstand the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. Beyond the second veil, there was a tabernacle, tabernacle which is called the holy of holies. All right, so I love this. The writer of Hebrews is now writing his Jewish brothers and sisters, right, his fellow kinsmen, and he's saying, listen, I, I want you to see something. You guys are stuck in Leviticus. You guys are still offering sacrifices. You're still doing the stuff at the temple for the little while they still had left before it was destroyed. And he's saying, listen, I'm trying to show you guys. Right? Hebrews was not written to Americans in the 21st century. It was written to Hebrews. So remember that. He's trying to convince them, right? So let's read it together. He continues in verse 8. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. I love this. How many times has God used shadows and types and pictures to try to get us to understand who Jesus really would be, what he really would accomplish for all of us, how we would even be involved in all of this imagery? It's incredible what he's trying to show us as a symbol. Accordingly, both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make the worshiper perfect in conscience. All right, so these guys are still offering sacrifices. The Christians are over here. They're barring the temple for a couple of minutes to worship Jesus. Then they're coming in with all the animals, and they're doing their— I mean, this is quite the scene that's going on. And, and, and this writer is trying to convey to them, Listen, I know Leviticus. I know you think it's a permanent thing for I know it's Jesus. And he's trying to show them Jesus over and over again. And this is the big part. You cannot, these sacrifices never made your conscience clean. Again, every single year, you know, 365 days from now, I'm going to be doing this again. And that's why you knew that the sacrifices weren't good enough. What God had for you was greater than that. He didn't want you to be reminded of your sins all the time. That was never the point. What he had was better and what he had was coming. And let's take a look at what verse 11 says. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Okay, he didn't go to the temple when he died. He went to heaven. He went to be in front of his father. That is not of this creation and through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for who? All. All. So he takes his blood, and the way they used to take the animal's blood and walk behind the veil, he took his blood and walked in his father's presence. He walked right in. Like, talk about how powerful his blood is. He entered the holy place once for everybody, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify, which catch that, for the cleansing of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Let me give you some examples of what a dead work looks like, because we don't even really get this that much anymore. Dead works sound like this. I'm going to grow closer to God. It's a dead work. It it sounds good. It sounds like you're trying to get a deeper relationship with him or something, but it's based on the idea that he's somewhere where he's not. (laughs) How do you grow closer to the one who's inside of you? How do you grow closer to the one who replaced your life with his? And uh, you can't. I've merged with him. I'm in union with him. And it's a dead work. You sit there and think, I'm going to grow closer to God. Well, then what are you going to do? I'm going to go read my Bible. I'm going to go worship the God. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to go. You're doing. Do you not hear it? You're going to go do something? Well, he says that this is supposed to be a Sabbath rest. What he did was supposed to bring you to a place of rest. So take a, take a look. For this reason, he mediated a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive. Do you earn it? Do you do anything? Do you have to go keep? No, you receive it, the promise of eternal inheritance. If it's something you have received, it was something that God gave you. And if he gave it to you, let me tell you, he's not taking it back. (laughs) He gives based on what you need, because he's agape love. He's not petty. He's not waiting to see if you deserve it, or, or I gave you life, and then you look what you did with it, I'm taking it back. And that's us. Now, God is the God who gives and he gives and he gives. Hebrews 9, 24, he continues, Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands. He didn't go fulfill the priesthood that was the Leviticus stuff in this way that he did something more, just massive. It was a mere copy of the true one, but he went into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Remember Aaron? He got warned. You can't just walk into the presence of God, and Jesus walks right into the presence of God. This is supposed to show you what you're able to do now. Aaron, beforehand, you better make sure, man, you do it all right. Put the bells around your waist. You know, we may have to pull you out later, you know. And then Jesus just walks on in, showing what a son of God looks like. This is my dad. You guys don't understand. He's not a big, angry God on a chair who's waiting for you to do it all right, and then he'll let you in or whatever. No, he, he, he's love. <laughs> he's love, and he loves you. And look at what he did because he loved us. He, nor was it that he would offer himself often. As the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Please catch this. God does not need you to get forgiveness of sins every single day. I know if you've gone to church for any length of time, you're told that you need to pray and get forgiveness of sins. Like, pray your sins. At the end of your day, pray a YOLO prayer of, like, God, any prayer I forgot, you know, or any sins I forgot. You know, like, the idea is we got to get forgiveness of even the stuff I forgot about. But if you'll just read that verse and contrast how different what God did through the Spirit in, in himself, all the things he did, verses Leviticus, this is way more powerful. It forgave all your sins. It forgave everybody's sins, in fact, whether you've ever asked for it or not, so that you could receive life. See, God's not worried about you seeing, seeing that you're wrong. He knows you're wrong, <laughs> okay? He's worried about you not receiving his life because that will keep you in death. He wants you to receive life. So repent, change your mind, see things differently, see how good he is. Look at what he says. He goes, look, this is not going to be a daily thing. This is not going to be a yearly thing. He goes, no, otherwise he would need to suffer. Jesus would have to suffer more than just once. And he goes, no, he goes, He put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Read that again. He put away sin. Oh, man, we always keep pulling it back out, you know. Oh, but Javen, I think you forgot. I just sinned. No, he put that away too. He put away all sin. Not that there's not consequences. Not that there's not things that we have to work through and, and because of sin. But he took it. And he took all of it so that we could have life. He put it away. All right, a little bit more. Check this out. Hebrews 10. Skip over one now. The writer of Hebrews, again, is really trying to convince a people that once believed that you were sanctified or cleansed, by a little bit of blood from an animal, right? That this has sort of cleansed you in some capacity. Now he's going to show you how superior the blood of Christ is compared to all the other things you had seen before. For the law, since it was only a shadow of the good things to come, all the things Moses saw was a shadow, it was not the very form of things, and that can never, by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins? So there it is. That was the reference point back to Leviticus. Like, in other words, this is supposed to have worked. All of these blood of bulls and goats, this is what God said would cleanse and do and all that, but the problem was is they were shadows of the the ultimate sacrifice that was coming, right? And so here he's saying, he goes, look, if, if those guys had worked, if all that stuff had worked... People wouldn't be feeling bad anymore at all. They'd be walking around feeling life. They'd be feeling alive in Christ, all that kind of stuff. Instead, he goes, take a look at what happens. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year by year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So God, why did you tell us to do this? Like, it seems like you should ask that question. I mean, why? Because Jesus... Because he was going to become and do something that no human could ever do. No person could ever do because they want to be the hero. No person could do because they want to be noble or do something good. Or nobody would choose to do what he did. Because he was the only one who could do it. Those sacrifices never cleansed us. But they continually covered us. How many times have you heard someone say, When Jesus looks at you, oh, man, the best news ever is he doesn't see you. He sees, or when God sees you, he sees Jesus covering you. I used to teach that, by the way. I used to tell people, like, man, you look disgusting, but don't worry. God's going to cover all this, you know. (laughs) Wow, you got some serious addiction. Don't worry, Jesus, you know. No, that's not how the picture looks at all, right? That's the way the blood of bulls and goats were. It didn't have the capacity to change you. It didn't have the capacity to heal and to, to cleanse you. So you covered yourself, right? You covered doorways. You were always covering. (laughs) Jesus comes along and he cleanses you by doing something incredible, by sanctifying you, by joining you to himself. Is it any wonder the church for so long, you guys, has been so lost in in all of this stuff? It's because we don't understand sanctification. We, We think it's an ongoing process. In fact, most churches teach that that you're progressively being sanctified. And if you really think about it, it's only based out of an old covenant idea. It's only based out of an old priesthood, an old sacrifice, an old scapegoat. All the tools are there. But when you see sanctification through the lens of what Jesus did, it's death and life. It was Jesus being joined to a cross and then coming out of a grave and saying, now when you believe you're joined to me, you have union with me. You cannot be a Christian and say that you're not sanctified. That doesn't make any sense. Because you're saying you're not connected to God. You're saying you're not joined to him. But the reason why we have a hard time with that is because what comes with sanctification? Holiness. And when you suddenly tell someone that they're as holy as they're ever going to be, you're as holy as you will ever be in heaven, all we think about is what? Sins and, and, and things that he already took care of. He already pr- produced something so much better than, than all of the things that we thought, we, we thought he would do. Listen to this in verse 9 in Hebrews 10. This is Jesus talking. Behold. I come to do your will, Dad. I'm going to add Dad in there. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. He started something new. By this will, we have been sanctified. I'm going to say it again. By God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time and time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But he... Having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering he has perfected all those who are sanctified. He has perfected you. Now look, be careful, because some Bibles actually wrote a word in there that's not in the original transcripts, and that word is being. (laughs) You are being sanctified, the NIV says, and that's not true. You are sanctified. Again, just off of reading the wrong Bible, sometimes we can get so lost. We're doing our best. We're doing our best. If you aren't sanctified, if you aren't in union with God, you have no intimacy with God. (laughs) I'm sorry, you don't. Because everything that you have is based off of something that you're doing for him. And if any of you are in a relationship where it's based off of something that you do for this person, I don't know how intimate that relationship is going to be, right? You're not going to want to share necessarily all the deepest parts of your life with somebody who's a taskmaster, do you? And yet, this is what God shows us, is that we have a relationship with him, something totally different. Listen to this, this verse here in verse 18. He goes, look, there's no longer an offering for sin. He goes, therefore... Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, underline that, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. What was the actual veil made of? Was it it the big veil that covered the holy of holies? No, it was Jesus' flesh was the actual veil. And when he hung on that cross, and the Bible says that he, his flesh was ripped in two, the veil was torn in half. Everything that happens to Jesus, right, happens to the copy. Like, it's, like we're the copy, and there's a reality that he's showing us. Let's, let's take a look at this uh, last little bit here. We have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You and I can now have a relationship with God where you don't walk in thinking, okay, hold on, God, before I get started, I know. I'm sorry for, no, you don't have that kind of relationship with God. No, he already took all of that from you. He took all of your sin away so that when you sit with him, it's not about being sorry as much as it is saying, God, how did I do that? Like, why did, I got myself in a mess. Can you help me? And your dad's always there to help you without any shame, without any yeah, but I told you this was going to happen. You know, like there's none of that, like things that I do as a dad that I'm trying to work on. Um, He's not like me, thank God. (laughs) He's not. Instead, Jesus introduces three main elements, the priesthood, the sacrifice, and the scapegoat. Read three more verses with me. Luke 23, 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. they cast lots dividing up his garments among themselves here was the high priest the real high priest forgiving everyone that was something only the priest could do right and only the high priest known as jesus could do here he was as the priest oh no the priest wasn't what you guys thought the priest isn't the guy that's in the church and he's the guy that's going to take care of stuff. And da, da, da. No, the priest is not the guy that you go to so you can go talk. No, here is the priest talking to his dad, pronouncing forgiveness, pronouncing something that you and I still have friends and family and people that are wrestling with us saying, he didn't forgive yet, you know. Father, forgive them. The father heard the priest's prayer and he answered the prayer because he wasn't just the priest but he was also the sacrifice. 1 John 2, 1 through 2 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not just ours, but for the whole world. Oh, his blood was better than some bull? (laughs) Come on, man. He took care of sins for the whole world. Not just the ones you remembered about. John 1 says that he wasn't just the high priest, he wasn't just the atoning sacrifice. John 1 says, the next day when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he said, behold, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He was the scapegoat as well. Jesus became all the things that God spoke to Moses and Leviticus about. Jesus said, they're all me. <laughs> it was all about me. Jesus was bringing the reality of heaven earth. He was bringing this reality of heaven to earth. And what Jesus said the reality of heaven looked like wasn't all the things that we commonly think of. He said it looks like the Father and it looks like all that he prefers. (laughs) When you go sit with your dad, when you go sit with God, and he's not worried about the stuff he's already taken from you. No, but he has preferences. You know what some of those preferences are is he wants really good stuff for your life. And sometimes we just fight him so hard on it, you know. Just sit with him. You don't have to feel shame. He's never going to condemn you. He's never going to be anything but excited that you're with him. Or you can have true transparency. You can just say, Dad, okay, I'm not even going to, you know. (laughs) And he goes, you're a child of God, stand up. You're a child of God, stand up. And when he causes you to stand, there's nothing in this world that can stop you. Lord, I thank you that you're taking me on a journey of being transparent. Lord, I want the light to shine. I want everyone just to see you. I don't care if they ever see me. And Lord, I know there are many in this place that feel that same thing. God, we are surrounded by fears and darkness, and yet we're light. (laughs) Lord, help us see ourselves the way you see us. In fact, Lord, I pray this week we would sit with you and allow you to show us what we really look like because we have no idea. Lord, even as good as it ever gets, for as beautiful as it ever gets, for the pictures that you show me, Lord, I just know it can't even come close because you said no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can fathom the things that God has for those who love him. So, Lord, whatever we're all facing in this place, whatever hardships we're facing, whatever walls we've put up, because we just can't fathom being hurt anymore, Lord, I pray that you would make those walls crumble and that we would stand before our dad who loves us. Help us, Lord. We rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen.